I want them to always be risk takers and try and give it their best effort the first time so that they don't feel like I have to show them what to do. They can make a mistake and it's okay. So with that, I know that standards-based grading is like a really great way of doing this, of just like having them focus on let's learn this. Let's not just get a grade or get a mark and move on. And that's the end of the world. But the struggle that I have is our district is not a standards-based grading district. We have In this episode, we speak with Anna Clark like, all about how to fit a square peg in a round hole. Yes, we're talking about standards-based grading and rigid gradebook programs and policies. Interesting, John. Anna is with us and she's starting just her second year and is currently teaching eighth grade. Together, we develop a plan for her to take all of her formative assessment data she's been collecting and finding a way to fit it into her district grading program and policies. Stick around so you can learn how as well. This is another Math Mentoring Moment episode where uh, we speak with a member of the Math Moment Maker community, a person just like you, who is working through problems of practice, and together we brainstorm possible next steps and strategies to overcome them. All right, John, let's do this. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers from MakeMathMoments.com who together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide, we want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite those teacher moves. Welcome, my friends, to another Math Mentoring Moment episode. These are some of mm -hmm. our favorite episodes because we get to bring a fellow math educator just like you onto the show, and we get to shake that shoe mm -hmm. and try to uh, <laughs> just shake that pebble right out of there. And today, we've got a really great conversation that may have crossed your mind before about standards-based grading and the district policies or maybe even just the gradebook program that you're mm -hmm. using. How do I take those two things, bring them together in a way that feels seamless and meaningful for my students and for my daily routine? Yeah. And what I loved about our conversation with Anna is just her eagerness to make this work for herself and reaching out to us and being her second year of teaching and already realizing that her grading policies had to shift and morph. Kyle, I, I think we've said it here on the podcast lots of times, but I think it wasn't until at least 10 years in for us where we're like, ah, oh, this is just not jiving the way I need it to with the beliefs I've had and the changes I've made in my classroom lessons. I've now got to figure out a way how to morph this into something that is useful for the students and for me. And that her doing it in her second year is amazing. So super excited for her. Can't wait for her to continue her teaching journey and really looking forward to checking in with her later. Yeah, I love it, John. And uh, something that really resonated with me, this was when she had filled out the application over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor to come on and chat with us about this. She was mentioning in there, and this is right from that little blurb she had. She said, appreciate y'all 
and loved everything you do. You're the reason I didn't give up on education after my first year. So that comment right there obviously gives us that energy to continue doing this work. This is the work that, and I guess the help that we wish we had along the way, right? So, so glad that we have some more new teachers coming out of pre-service, hopping right in there and really looking to the internet, to podcasts like this one in this community, the Make Math Moments community, to help them along and help them, I guess, really make the changes that took you and I over a decade to make ourselves, or at least to get on that journey. So bravo to Anna mm-hmm. and uh, friends. I think you're going to love this conversation. So let's not waste any time, right, John? We're going to hop in. Let's do it. Hey there, Anna. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Make Math Moments That Matter podcast. We are excited to chat with you. So thanks again. Yeah, I'm so glad you all could talk to me. Yes, absolutely. We are super excited to engage in another Math Mentoring Moment episode. I know that this episode is going to be coming out well after everyone's school years have begun, but John and I actually are just in our second week of the new school year as we Mm -hmm, record this. mm -hmm. So things are crazy in our world. I'm sure things are crazy in your world. I believe you started a little earlier than we did, but fill us in and let us know, Anna, where are you coming to us from? Mm -hmm. Maybe give us a little bit of background on your teaching role, maybe how many years you've been in teaching, that sort of thing, just to give everyone a little bit of context here. All right. So I'm coming from Birmingham. Alabama area. We've been in school for, I guess, about six weeks now. This is only my second year teaching, and I am teaching eighth grade math, which for us in Alabama, that's pre-algebra. And then I teach one advanced course that's like algebra one, basically. Got it. Um, Got it. Yeah, so that's where I am. Super cool. Yeah. Second year teacher. Yeah. Congratulations for making it through the first. That is the toughest one. Right, of all. So congratulations to you. And to stick it out Thank and you. to keep coming back. So amazing stuff. Anna, um, hey, we've got to ask you this. You've listened before to this podcast. So we ask everybody their math moments. So fill us in on your math moment. When we say math class, what just pops into your mind as this memory that has just stuck with you all these years? Fill us in on the details. What is your math moment? So I think of math class as three different stages in my life, all the way up until about seventh grade, I was always super good at math, made a hundred on every test. Just if somebody saw the nerd in the class, it was me. And then I had some rough stuff go on in my life at home and I hit geometry and made my first C ever in Mm. my life. And from there, all through the rest of high school, everything just sort of went downhill. And I felt like I never really got math ever again, kind of because like that memorization part of my brain, I guess, stopped working because of some personal stuff that happened. And then I decided I wanted to be a teacher. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to teach yet, but I started in college with elementary education and then I started tutoring. I was like, well, I can at least tutor elementary schoolers because I was good at elementary school math. And then I realized I was actually better at teaching math than I was learning math. So I kept tutoring higher and higher grades and I was getting better grades on my own tests by helping other people. So I made it to college and had my first just introduction to an inquiry based class. Mm. And it happened to be geometry. 
which right. was the class that I had done horribly and for the first time I'd taken it. And it was a very difficult way to learn math for me, but it challenged me in the best ways. And I went from just being good at math to falling in love with math to being, instead of trying to memorize all the proofs, I was proving them myself. Mm. And it all stuck so much better. And I had a 100 again in that class by the time I finished it. And from that moment, I was like, I'm just going to teach math. I've changed my major. I went through all of the other inquiry-based math courses that I could before it became so high level. It was just straight social knowledge, just teaching. But yeah, that's my math moment was that geometry class. Awesome. How cool is that? What an interesting story. So to come from that, oftentimes it's like an either or, right? Someone has either like a really negative experience with math or maybe they had a what they felt was a positive experience. It sounds like yours felt positive up to a point. Mm-hmm. I sort of heard my own story in yours a bit there in that kindergarten through grade seven journey where the memorization was probably sort of like keeping you going. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something too, though, about how we had some things going on in your home life or in your personal life, some mm-hmm. challenges. And then you came full circle and managed to not just sort of walk away and say, I'm not a math person. I can't do this and mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. tried again, but managed to sort of like come out on top, which I feel is such a rare situation, right? So for you to kind of come from a place of feeling good about it and then maybe not so great about it and then sort of like revisiting it and looking at it in a different way, I'm got to know how, if you feel, did that impact or influence what you're doing as an educator with your students here in your second year? So I realized just how detrimental just lecturing Mm. to people was and how that was only going to get 20 to 30% of my kids. And having started teaching just a year after the pandemic really took a toll everywhere, the kids came back to school just unwilling to put in any work because they've kind of had, at least in my district, two free years where they were just kind of given a pass. Nobody failed those two years because why would we fail kids if we're having to teach them stuff at home? So they came back with that attitude. They're not going to fail me, so I'm not going to do anything. So that was difficult. And so it became just a challenge of every single day, how am I going to get them to engage with the math themselves so that one, they have to be engaged in order to learn it. And two, it actually sticks. And it's not me just hitting those maybe 20 to 30 people that would get it with memorization. And the other people that wouldn't get it immediately, it didn't come to them naturally, weren't putting in the effort anymore. So I had to go past their lack of effort and Mm. spark curiosity. (laughs) Anna, what would you, if you think about your classroom and you think about some of the effects, how would you describe how the kids are reacting to the lessons? You've described like we might capture 20% if we lectured. Have you seen this change in kids attempting work? When you mentioned COVID, I think we all kind of nodding our heads like, yeah, we've been teaching through that. COVID brought out bad habits or a loss of habits. We Mm -hmm. just lost some habits of things. We have to bring those back. So I'm wondering when you implemented this kind of style of teaching that you're hooked on to sparking curiosity as well, what have you seen in the students to react to that style of lesson? So my students that are good at memorizing, 
will leave and say I'm the worst teacher ever <laughs> um, because they're finally being challenged. And it's not just let me write something down and study it 500 times and I'll remember it. But I did catch a few of them who are in my accelerated course, my advanced mm-hmm. class. They've been told they're good at math their whole lives. And I caught them one day last year when they complained about why wouldn't I just teach Well, about five minutes later, they were ranting about how they didn't remember anything that they had learned Hmm. ever in math class ever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, so you're telling me that the way you want me to teach doesn't work? Hmm. And so I've caught them in that. And then I've got other students that I've given them a hands-on, if you will, approach to algebra for the first time in their life. Maybe they've seen a number line before. I realized when I was trying to help some of them with integers, that some of them have never seen integers on a number line. And that got me very worried. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) so some of them are getting this for the first time. And they're like, why do I like math now? What's different about your class? They can't quite put a finger on it other than Mm -hmm. they know, like, I'm Mm -hmm. not, they work in groups and they talk to each other a whole lot more. Um, But they can't figure out why it just works in their brain now. So. I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. I hope people who are listening who may have run into a similar challenge with the students who have been traditionally strong because of memorization or because they haven't had to do much of the thinking. They've just done a lot of this sort of mimicking. Oftentimes they do push back because it is harder. Right. The reality is, is you're creating a productive struggle. And right. as humans, we tend to not like having struggle, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't like struggle, but I know it's good for me. So it's one of those things. And I mentioned it on an episode, I'm sure of it, where when I go to workshops, for example, and I'm participating where it's not John or I leading the workshop and I'm actually the participant, as soon as they ask me to do something, I'm like, I don't want to. But then once I get going, you're like drawn into it. And it's such an Mm -hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. sort of mindset or maybe habit. It's like maybe just a bad habit where we don't want to actually do that thinking. So it's great that you caught them there. It's also great that you didn't second guess, I guess, too badly where you wanted to revert to maybe more of a lecture style. Because I know that there's teachers who have been teaching for 20 years 30 years. And when they make changes like you're trying to do, when students push back, they tend to sort of go back really quickly, right? right? They don't want to get everybody upset and sort of ruffle feathers. So that is huge. So anyone who's listening, definitely consider those things when students don't necessarily enjoy or they kind of push back and they say things like, you're not teaching or why don't you just teach us the way everybody else does like that? Why can really... won't you just tell us what to do? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that can really, really hinder your psychological mindset on where your lessons are going and whether you're doing the right thing for students. So good on you for continuing that journey with your students. So I think we're getting closer to why we're on the line here today. And I'm wondering Do you mind sharing with us what's on your mind lately? What is that pebble in your shoe that we might be able to shake out together as a group here? Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12, setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? 
Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Right. So I'm trying to foster a an environment that making mistakes is okay. And I want them to always be risk takers and try and give it their best effort the first time so that they don't feel like I have to show them what to do. They can make a mistake and it's okay. So with that, I know that standards-based grading is like a really great way of doing this, of just like having them focus on, let's learn this. Let's not just get a grade or get a mark and move on. And that's the end of the Mm -hmm. world. But the struggle that I have is our district is not a standards-based grading district. We have very strict guidelines for like, they call them gold, silver, bronze. Gold grades are 60% of your grade and they are tests and projects. Mm -hmm. Silver grades are homeworks, quizzes, classworks. And then bronze grades are supposed to be what they call soft skills. So they get a grade for like bringing their supplies to class and whatever. Mm -hmm. So where I struggle is how can I do standards-based grading and really focus on this other than just letting them retest on things, how can I kind of find a loophole in this prescription right. to do what I would like to do? And have you tried anything yet? You've realized that you want to uh, evaluate and assess with standards as the kind of the benchmarks, mm-hmm. but you've got this rigid, put a mark in here, we've got a, a categories have, that- we, Yeah, I have to have three tests. I have to have six yeah. There's numbers yeah. I have to get. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Have you kind of dabbled yet? Or I'm curious to hear what you've done for your dabbling. Or <laughs> are you still just being like, I haven't tried anything yet because I'm waiting to see how it all fits together. Let us know what your dabbling is so far. <laughs> so I've done one dabble, I guess. I read Building Thinking Classrooms this summer and just jumped all in with that. So I've loved that book and I've loved seeing all the different pieces that I've been able to pull in, even if some stuff isn't 100% what Peter would like. But I tried his walking around with a clipboard basically and assessing one student at a time, giving them check marks, and then using a code to say like, they got this in group work. I put a little G by their check mark, or I put an X if they're like, they can't do this, even if it's a group, even if I help them. I put a check mark and put an H if they need help. So I'm keeping track of all of that. I just can't, I say can't, I haven't yet figured out how to translate that into a number and actually put it in a grade book that parents are checking weekly and emailing me saying, why don't I have any grades in the Mm -hmm. past two weeks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to clarify, I'm sort of getting the sense that your grade book is something that pretty immediately parents and students can see. So if you enter it in, they get immediate sort of access to it or the visibility is there. So they to get speak. a notification. Look it at notifies that. notifies their phone if I put a grade in. They're at the dinner table and they get the notification of little Johnny's test performance. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. I'm just thinking about this prescribed system that you have. I'm, and I'm thinking about the way that we've been doing our grading for assessment 
really for assessment for growth for the last few years. And I'm curious about the actual mechanics of what you're working with when you're saying the system and, and you put the into the grade book. Like, for example, could you create, if you wanted, now you're not going to go do this, but could you create a thousand tests in that grade book and put a mark for each one for the semester? Why are you saying a thousand is because I'm just trying to gauge how much flexibility you have in tests. You said 60% of their grade is calculated by tests and projects, but I'm wondering, it's like, could you just pump in a whack of them? Oh, yeah. There's no limit. Oh, yeah. You can, every time it's like, I want to create a new test and then boom, there's a test in there and I just I can put marks in that kind of thing. That's what mm-hmm. I'm picturing. Yes. So I can create whatever I want to. My principal, however, will say, why do you have this many things? Because lots of teachers, math teachers figured out the math behind it and realized they could change the percentages if they wanted to by mm-hmm. putting stuff in because the percentages are automated by our learning system or whatever. Right. So they figured out like, well, if I just don't oh, put any put grades like five here, of these one things here, right? And, or yeah. if I say this one is 50 points instead of a hundred points. Right. So they told us you have to have this many, you have to make it out of a hundred points. Right. And so, yeah, I'm wondering if, and I'm sure since it's unlimited and you can make whatever you want in there, what are your thoughts on having a conversation with your administrator before you start dabbling some more with the system? Because I'm just picturing If you, something that Kyle and I, we were talking with Tom Shimmer about assessment and standards-based grading, and Mm -hmm. he had this great line that was like a wake-up call to everybody, but it was almost like everyone's doing this, but it's like, you're not calling it, but you are really. He said, if you're not grading or assessing by standards, what the heck are we doing? What are we grading anyway? Right. Is the whole mark, (laughs) you showed up today and you Mm -hmm. get 10 marks just because you were on time and you wrote your name? No, you're grading and you're assessing kids by how well they're doing on these standards. So we are all kind of doing that. It's just, I think what happens is how we enter it in the system. So I guess why I'm asking you questions about your system is because it's possible that you could enter instead of test one from unit one, quiz one, you could possibly start to rename these Mm -hmm. by standard. So you could say, instead of test one, you might say, look, in unit one, I have six overall standards or five overall standards that I'd like to assess for students. And I'd like that to be ongoing. So it's possible that while you're using your check marks, you're telling your parents, you're telling your administrators that these numbers I might put in the system, they might change over time. Calculations Mm -hmm. are going to fluctuate because I'm seeing different things and I'm using different evidence. But in your like 60%, you could have the overall standards as listed out there. Now that might be by the end of the course, 25 or 20, or it might be 10. Mm -hmm. So think about what are the outcomes that you want to assess? What are the things you want to give feedback on Mm -hmm. for your students? And then those could be the tests that are currently tests. And then those numbers can change. And Mm -hmm. so now when you change them, it's like you've seen more evidence. You could do the same thing with quizzes in your classwork. So you can still fit these things in. It's just how I think you look at what those numbers now mean. Right. So we're required to have three tests. I don't know that we're allowed to have a lot more than that. But one thing I realized that PowerSchool does 
is it breaks down. I can actually select standards when I make an assignment. There's a separate tab. So I can still make it like my 100 point test that it has to be. And then I go over to this next tab and it says standards. Then I click all the standards that align with the test. And then when I go to grade the test, I can put a letter grade. I can't put an 88. It could be A, B, C, D, F. Yeah. So I'm already using that a little bit for the bigger, you know, tests and quizzes that do grade like multiple standards. And I've already had a conversation with my parents and my students and there's a little button that I can push on when I enter the grade that says incomplete that says, look, your kid has a whole lot more potential for growth here. I'm putting incomplete because I want you to know this is not where the grade is going to stay. We're going to keep working on this. Great. So I think maybe that's the best I can do right now with the prescribed numbers and percentages and such. I mean, what I'm hearing is that your head is in the right place. So when you say it's the best you can do, it's like, I'm hearing that you're doing a great job already. You already are considering these things. And that's amazing. My second year of teaching, I was like, how do I just grade these things and get them back? I had no idea that there was another way to sort of look at it or, or think about things. So Or use right. it for a particular purpose. Yeah. It was just a number to put in a system and get back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess my curiosity is, and you might not have a straight answer for this, but I'm wondering, or maybe like a full answer or a complete answer, but I'm wondering if you were to sit down with your administration and you were to have a conversation, would they be for or against You had mentioned there's pretty strict guidelines on how many tests you can have and those types of things. What would they say if you were going to, let's say, put in a mark for a test, which is related to these standards, and a student was to show you later that they are actually in a better place with their understanding related to those standards, and that mark was to actually change? I don't think they would even notice that would happen. So, But I guess if you were to tell them, hey, this is what I want to do, would they be okay with that idea? Or would they be like, well, no, you've already like put it in the system. I guess the question I'm wondering is how dynamic can this grade book be? Or how static is this book? How permanent is this book? I don't think they mind it changing because it's, I'm already doing that for students that have IEPs and 504s that get to retest anyways. Right. Got it. And they also, with the RTI that we do, they know that a lot of those kids that are on tier three are going to have to retest anyways. Got it. Okay. So so it sounds like, and I think there's kind of two places that you can be as well. So you've got this sort of formal grading system. It's going to have to be set up in a pretty particular way. Mm-hmm. However, there's some flexibility in terms of the grades when they get in there. My biggest concern in the back of my mind was if you put a grade in there, is that sort of like cemented and therefore nothing can change? It sounds like there is some flexibility. There's right. also on the other side too that not all of your assessment data has to be reflected in the grade book. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it won't influence the grade book, but what I mean is that you could have, let's say, another sort of system where you're collecting more between you and students. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what a grade book's supposed to do, but sadly, mm-hmm. it sounds like here you're sort of stuck in a particular system or approach, probably just for consistency's sake at the school or district level. But over here, you could have things broken down a little bit more deeply. 
mm-hmm. where students could still see, and it might not get recorded in the system, that grade in the system could change based on what's happening here. So it could be something as simple as a checklist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could be a digital checklist, whether it's like a spreadsheet or Google Slides. Mm-hmm. I know John's been playing with portfolio since fresh grades being ripped away from him. They're closing down shops. So John's experimenting with some other methods. So kind of keeping your eyes and ears and mind open to the possibility that you could have something that is more standards-based grading in the traditional sense, or I guess in the more recent sense. And then what comes out of there is sort of your result that you want to put in the grade book. And when there's a big change, you modify the grade book mm-hmm. and then mom and dad get the notification at dinner time versus changing things every day, all day long. Right. So like having an unofficial and then just altering it when it's like a substantial enough change. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, it's almost like more official in your right. world, like, it, but yeah. not in yeah. the district's world. That's, right? what I was right. gonna, that's what I was gonna say. I'm just spitballing here, but if you had a page mm-hmm. and that page had you could go by learning outcome or you could go by student and you could say, This is so and so's page, here's four learning goals and where are they at this point? And you could have anecdotal notes that you've made. You could even just have stars that you're filling in mm-hmm. on and those stars have success criteria attached for that particular learning goal. Like if I see this, then I know that this person is at this place on the learning journey for that particular outcome. And it's kind of an ongoing track, but sharing that with the student. Remember that the assessment is used for growth in the students. It's like we want to capture evidence and in data, like Kyle said, so that we can it can inform our instruction so that we can help the kid go on. So I like what Kyle suggested. It's like, we can do all of this informally here, and this has all my data. And if somebody ever kind of was like, well, why is that number like that? And you're like, look, this is my mark book Mm -hmm. that actually makes so much sense. I have my students, I have their outcomes, I have where they are on those outcomes. They can see where they are in their outcomes, like have a page, each of them has a page in their own binders that they can self-assess on those same outcomes. And you have to do a little bit of setting up in advance. map those outcomes for each other, but that would be your real grade book. And I think that it gets at the purpose of standards-based grading which and an assessment for growth, which is helping the students along this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm doing something similar to that. So our textbook is actually, I've like been really proud of our textbook because it has a lot of very curious explorations at the beginning, and then it comes in later with all the vocab. So I've loved that, but it also in the teacher edition has rubrics for self-assessment that breaks down every single learning outcome for me and shows like mild, medium, spicy problem that the kids can look at and say, can I do this? So I don't even have to make that for myself. It's just there. They just don't like looking at it because they don't understand the words a lot of times. (laughs) I love it. So I can alter that. 
Yeah, yes, so. it sounds to me, and we'll turn it back to you to kind of maybe get your sort of where your head's at now. But sometimes I find when we have conversations, not just assessment, but in other areas as well, that educators are doing the important parts of an idea, but because it doesn't feel formal, because maybe it almost feels like you're taking all of this awesome standards-based work that we're doing over here, and then we have to spit it out into this number or letter or something over here that like the work is lost. But really, that's sort of like the end goal. That's just sort of a summary of what's happened. Is it perfect? It never will be. But really, the important work in our mind anyway with standards-based grading, as John mentioned, is it's all about helping you figure out where students are, mm -hmm. ensuring that they know where they are, or at least trying, like you said, sometimes they don't fully understand. You're trying to communicate that with them. But imagine mm -hmm. if we weren't breaking down the learning goals, how much more difficult that would be. So it sounds like you've got a pretty good sort of grasp on the standards-based piece. And then I think for those at home who are listening as well, there is never one right way, right? So for you, you might choose to break things down into larger chunks. Other people like mm -hmm. to have like really small chunks. You really have to go with what makes sense to you at the time and just know that next year, five years from now, you're probably going to do it a little differently because right. you're going to learn along the way and things will change for you. Especially but ultimately, as a second year teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've definitely made huge, huge shifts compared to mm -hmm. where I feel mm -hmm. so many educators are. And, and honestly, what a great opportunity for you or an advantage you have, because you're not getting sort of stuck in habits that maybe aren't as productive. So you're getting yourself into really good habits here. And I think for you, it's going to be just continuing to tweak. And again, at the end of the day is constantly reflecting with yourself to go, why am I doing standards-based grading anyway? Because mm -hmm. I think sometimes we forget to ask ourselves why. We know it's good, right? Maybe I read something about it or someone talked about it or you heard someone on the podcast speaking positively about it. But when we really, when it comes down to it, it's like, why am I doing it? I'm doing it to make sure that I know what I need to teach and so that students know where they are and what they need to do to get better. And of course, we want to have the opportunity for them to show that growth along the way. And really, there's so many different ways that we can do that. Having a system that's set up in your school or your district, that doesn't have to be sort of the thing that makes or breaks a successful standards-based approach to assessment. Right. Yeah. So I think the biggest pebble is I'm doing all of the work on the one side. So what's the best way to translate that into what parents are used to seeing as a number. I'm keeping track of which standards they know, and I'm keeping track even in our online gradebook that parents can see which standards from the state level. It, it won't let me break that into learning outcomes, but I can hit the giant standards and say that's what we're testing mm -hmm. on. So do I, is it something that I like make every learning outcome like a certain number of points or like I weight them based on how important yeah, they are? You can, you can. What I would do is 
first, you're going to want to set up that success criteria for those outcomes. So you know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And that's important because that's different than to say, just taking the test result and converting it into a number. We're looking for consistency on these particular skills. Like if a student is getting this pegged mark, it's because I've seen them demonstrate these things, which I've just decided that is here in Ontario, we might call that a level four type of work for that particular learning goal. It means you're kind of towards mastery, you're demonstrating at the standard or above the standard. So I think you're going to want to like create that success criteria and the different kind of levels so that you can go, okay, you know, this student is performing around here consistently. Mm -hmm. So that translates into this grade for that outcome. And then that outcome could then translate on your tests as well. So Mm -hmm. the hardest part is, or I guess not the hardest part, but I think you probably want to do some of that shifting of what the test means in your mark book, right? You're probably going to want to redesign it to say, this is an outcome on this Mm -hmm. because then you have more flexibility to say, I'm putting that mark in because otherwise the test might capture all of these learning skills. And if that's true, then you might be thinking about averaging those learning goals or those outcomes Mm -hmm. for that test. Because that's what you would have done by a modular or a mark system anyway, by giving points or check marks per question and then averaging all of those. And that's the test mark. So Mm -hmm. you could do that by outcome instead. Yeah, I was going to say something like similar to that as well, John, where I used to have my unit one test on two variable statistics. And it was Mm -hmm. like really what I was saying without realizing it was all the learning goals related to two variable statistics are under this umbrella. And back then I never realized it, but I would make my tests out of about the same number of marks. But if one test was out of 50 and one was out of 40 and I didn't weight them in the grading system, then that one was actually worth more, the one that had more marks on it. So the reality is, is kind of when you zoom out on all these learning goals, right, whether you like having maybe larger or maybe narrowing them down is really looking at them and maybe even creating yourself almost like a couple buckets could be three buckets where there's like, Hey, bucket number one is really important. These are our spicy learning goals, as you Mm -hmm. said before. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to put these ones there. I want to make sure students really have that. Here's a bucket that was kind of important, but maybe not so much. And then over here is like maybe some of the learning goals that you're always scratching your head going like, did we really need to do that learning goal? Who wrote the curriculum? Everybody always has a couple of those in there. And you could do something like that where you go, okay, is it necessary for a student to be as strong in this learning goal as this one? So I think one of the big pieces, though, is earlier than later in a school year, you want to have that whatever you decide to organize Mm -hmm. by in Mm -hmm. terms of waiting, you kind of want to get that done ahead of time, just so you're feeling kind of good about it. And you're not sort of like, you know, marks aren't changing later because you've sort of varied Mm -hmm. the weight of them. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, just figure out whatever that organizational system is going to be, whether for me coming from a traditional grading system, I had my old tests. It would be easy for me to go, well, I used to have seven tests, so I'm going to keep seven chunks of my learning goals and I'm going to break them up that way. Or if they say there's three tests that have to be in this grading system, you could look at all your learning goals and say, well, these learning goals are going to be chunked into test one that I have to put into this grading system. And these ones are going to go into test two. But ultimately, at the end of the day, as long as you feel comfortable, and really it's about 
what matters most to you, what you think matters most in your course, I think you're going to come out ahead. Again, there's going to be no right or wrong way to do it, but at least you can feel good about having a reason for it. There's nothing worse than doing something and going like, I'm not really sure why I'm doing it this way. But if like you can go, okay, well, I think these ones are more beneficial. So I've weighted them more, whereas these ones are less so. So I've weighted them less or whatever justification you have. Okay. You can feel good about that and be able to articulate it to other people. Okay. Sounds good. Awesome. What are you feeling? What do you think your next steps are going to be? So we actually have open house on Thursday. So this was a very well-timed conversation. <laughs> I guess it's just making sure my students are very clear on why I'm grading the way that I'm grading. And then Thursday night, especially when I see my parents for the first time in person, explaining to them mm-hmm. why you might get two or three different notifications for the same test if it's been a month since I put that test in. So I'm glad to know that I'm on the right track and that I'm not unnecessarily banging my head against the wall with the (laughs) prescribed grading system. It's always great to hash out or chat ideas with other educators just to feel where you are, feel what's happening, you know, and get reconfirmation of what you believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm the only person at my school that's trying to do it this way, so. Mm -hmm. Good on you. That is a hard sort of role to have is trying to innovate, trying to do things differently. Everybody else is doing something different. Am I doing it right? Am I going to mess this up? Lots of weight on your shoulders, but honestly, I think your head's in the right place. One key thing for that conversation with students and parents for that open house is again, always coming back to, again, why do I want standards-based grading for your son or daughter or child is because I want them to do as well as they possibly can in this course. And I want to help them help themselves succeed. And I feel like when people hear you say that right away, they're going, okay, this teacher isn't coming in here to try to make this hard or difficult or not give my child a good experience. I think right away, people sort of go, oh, okay. And let them know as well. If you have concerns, if there's a challenge, if you're not sure or uncertain, definitely reach out to me and we can have a conversation. Like when they know that those communication lines are open as well, I think it just like lets everybody settle a little bit. Right. People don't like change. It's very scary. Mm-hmm. But if you can help them feel comfortable and they go, wow, I can tell just in this conversation that this teacher cares about her students, then I think people are just much more open to trying something new. I said this to the kids on the very first day I had them when I was explaining my syllabus and what this grading was going to look like. I said, you know, you're going to get a second chance to learn a lot of these topics because if you make an F, that's more, I didn't teach you the right stuff and I have more work to do, not you just have an F and that's going to label you for the rest of the school year. So I told them from day one, the goal is we're going to learn as much as we physically can. And if you get a bad mark, it's because I need to teach you more stuff and keep working with you on it. So love awesome. It. Awesome stuff. Anna, we want to thank you for joining us here today, hashing out these ideas and just remind you of a couple of things inside the academy, which we know that you are a member. We have an assessment for growth course. We talk about a lot of these ideas in there. Make sure you kind of jump in there, go through a few things. We've got some suggestions, especially how to use portfolios as well to kind of help kind of round things out. But uh, super glad you joined us. I'm uh, excited for your next year and excited to see some of these changes. I'm hoping we can revisit this conversation maybe like June 
May when the end of the school year is ending, yeah. we can come back and uh, follow up and see how things are going. What do you say? I'd love that. Amazing. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, listen, you are uh, being vulnerable is hard. You're in your second mm-hmm. year. You're already hopping on the podcast. This is a message for everybody who's listening. If you haven't tried to hop on for a mentoring moment episode, head over to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. And we're totally loving these conversations. So have yourself an awesome night, Anna, and good luck as you carry on into your second whole year. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a great school year. You too. Chat soon. Okay, bye. Well, Math Moment Makers, there you have it. There's Anna, who's doing some pretty awesome stuff, Mm -hmm, just going mm -hmm. into year number two, as she had mentioned to us earlier that the podcast and this community has really helped her along because we know year number one, and actually for me, I remember it being like year one through five. We're Mm -hmm. really challenging as you're just trying to figure so many things out. So it was great to have her come on the podcast. And I sort of got the sense, John, that she was realizing, and I hope she realizes, and maybe when she re-listens to this episode, if she didn't get that sense, she's doing a lot of really great things already Mm -hmm. in her classroom. And just the way she's thinking about grading and assessing and trying to change things for students, I think is going to go a long way for her building rapport with students students and parents, but also just ensuring that more students realize their fullest math potential. Yeah. And you could see it that she had realized that she had been doing standards-based grading. She was using the assessment data, her evidence, what she's witnessed to change her instruction, to help students grow, to push that forward. So it was great for her to make that realization and go, oh, I can just try to fit that in over here now because I've already got really the real grade book because I think that's what the grade book that matters for kids. And for her to make that realization was great in the conversation. And what is something right now that you know you're doing well, right? Like we all know that we're like doing something really great. What is that thing? Say it out loud. Like you know right now you're doing something great and share it. I guess you don't have to share it with anyone. You just say it like, hey, I do this pretty good in my classroom. We know mm-hmm. you do. Uh, if you want to share it with someone, pull someone aside, just say, say it. John and Kyle told me to say it. So <laughs> I'm saying it to you, but... I think that's an important thing to say is just reflect, think about some of the things that we are doing well in the class, in our classrooms and what we're doing in our jobs on a regular basis and not thinking that I've got this and this and this that I'm not doing great at. Reflect on some of the things that you are doing well. I love it. And hey, if you want to share it with the community, we are on social media at Make Math Moments on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And we even have a free private Facebook group, Math Moment Makers K through 12. So head on over there. But you know what would really fill our hearts is if you took a moment, left us a line or two as a rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform. I know for me, it's Apple Podcasts. Uh, John, I think you've done the shift over to Spotify. Yeah, I'm all Spotify uh, now. Well, look at you. I don't know. I don't know if there's, we'll have to have a chat about that. I don't know why you've done it, but I'm still hanging out with Apple. But whatever podcast hmm. platform you are leveraging in order to listen to this show, maybe it's on YouTube. Give us that one-liner. A rating and review goes a long way, not only to filling our heart, but also ensuring that the crazy algorithms out there, the Google machine will share 
this resource with more educators just like you. Hey, and Anna, when she chatted with us here on this particular episode, she had reached out to us. She went over to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. She filled out a form and said, hey, guys, I really want to hash this idea out. And we brought her on. We brought her on to have a conversation. And we would love to speak with you about what pebble is rocking around in your shoe. <laughs> if it's rolling in there, it's probably rolling in many other teachers' shoes. All you got to do is head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor, fill out a quick form that sends us an email so that we can reach out to you and, and have a chat, work out what you're going through. We're here to support. Awesome stuff. Hey friends, listen, show notes, links to resources and complete transcripts to read from the web or download and take with you can be found over on the website. You can access all of the different episodes over on makemathmoments.com in the podcast area. This episode you can get at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 201, 201 episodes. Uh, But remember, on that home base, we've got all kinds of other awesome stuff. The framework, the three-part framework guidebook you can grab, all kinds of tip sheets, as well as over 50 full units of study that are all problem-based, have math talks, and full teacher guides over on the makemathmoments.com website. Well, my friends, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. Oh, you thought I forgot, didn't you? And a high five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook after completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.